Hello, and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to reintroduce to you now. Paul Burgess is a returning guest on Boundless Body Radio. Be sure to check out our first interview on episode 154. Paul is the founder of Paul Burgess Functional Medicine. Its purpose is to deliver the most cutting-edge physical training techniques and nutritional advice. Paul is a lifetime drug-free fitness enthusiast whose passion for health and fitness has taken priority since his mid-teens. In his mid-30s, he decided to turn his passion for fitness into his full-time career and became a nutritionist and personal trainer, gaining diplomas in clinical nutrition, personal training, and anti-aging. He is the host of the Athletic Fitness and Nutrition Podcast, which he started back in 2014. His motivation is to be the best he can for his age and to show his clients that being over 45 is no reason not to be fit, healthy, and to look good. Paul Burgess, welcome back to Boundless Body Radio. Casey, thanks, man. It's good to be back. But you know what? That intro really reminds me of a lot of stuff in the past because it's so old. Because now I'm 55. I'm not 45 anymore. <laughs> and so, it's, <laughs> so it, it shows how how long I've been going in this in this industry and what's been uh, what's been changing and stuff. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be back, man. Yeah, that's amazing. I was actually going to ask you uh, before we started recording because I felt like you were 55, not 45. <laughs> I totally yeah. forgot. So that's okay. It's um it's nice to take a few more trips around the sun and to learn more. And I, I know you mm-hmm. have such a passion for health and fitness and you're always refining and learning so much new stuff. Um, so I, I, I know you've learned a lot even since we last talked, which is great. I love that attitude. Yeah. Yeah. And, and do you know what? As we get older, I 100% believe we get happier. I couldn't because agree more. Things don't, things don't matter so much that used to matter when we were kids. You know, it's not important what other people think of us. It's not important what we wear or, you know, what we show on the outside. The, 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 your, your passion in life and what is important and what gives you this amazing journey, those values, they change and they become much more important and much more tangible you know you get far more out of experiencing your your daily life either you know something outside that really attracts you and you get some amazement out of or one of your children does something and you really actually engage with it and present that stuff's way more valuable than wearing a rolex watch or driving a a porsche and um, um, and it's awesome when we get older it's it's incredible i love it and and you know, I hope more people get there. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, last time we talked, I, w- I told you a little bit about a stoicism handbook that I'm kind of going through and different exercises to do. And this week, yeah. the exercise is to pick out things in your life that you're spending a lot of time on and to evaluate whether you think those things are going to be successful for you, or they're worth the time to invest. And it's funny, like I'm getting to the end of the week and I'm running out of things to talk about. And I'm realizing like in my life, there is very few components of it, but they're all so meaningful. You know, it's like this podcast, I train my clients, I go on walks and I don't have a lot much else in my life. And you're right. Like as we age, we really get to refine down the things that are most important and we get to kind of get rid of the things that have really no meaning in our lives. Mm. But we can only do that when we've experienced how little value those other things actually gave us. Yeah. Because you try telling my 28 year old that the clothes she wears or the watch she wears or whatever it is, doesn't mean anything. She's like, yeah, all right, dad, whatever. What do you know? But honestly, I mean, I was the same at her age, but we have to go through that experience, realize none of it made us happy. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, what is it that really gives me happiness today? What gives me joy and fulfillment, which I think is the really important word, the fulfillment in my life right now. And if you've got that every day, which is what I do for all of my patients, right? That's the goal, a happy, fulfilling life every day. And most people never experience it. You know, you you are one of very few people that lives his life the way you do. Most people are chasing after some sort of success that they measure in money or in possessions. You know, the, the guy next door has got this car or that suit or this whatever or that boat or whatever, and that's what I need to do if I'm to be successful. But there's an awful lot of people in this world who are very, very wealthy and miserable because they haven't focused on what makes them happy and when they get to the you know when you're when you're going up the ladder you always have the hope that once i get there then i'll be happy the problem is when you get there 
and you have everything and you're still not happy, even your hope has gone. That becomes massively depressing. And we see a lot of people who, you know, for all intents and purposes are in, in inverted commas happy, but uh, sorry, successful, but miserable. And they're looking for things to try and make them happy. And they go through divorces or they go through drug issues or alcohol or whatever it is, but they're, they're still searching for that thing. And so um, it's sad to see that people focus on that because they think it's going to bring them happiness at some, you know, unknown date in the future. And between now and then, they spend their time focusing on getting there instead of focusing on what makes me happy today. Mm. Paul, this is exactly why we invited you back on this show. These gems of wisdom are so awesome. I absolutely love it. I wanted to talk to you about a few different topics, but before we did, I had two questions related to an Instagram post that you just made and related to our last interview. And the first question is, you just posted on Instagram, people lack confidence in the process they follow because the goal is wrong. And I think that's very much related to what you're saying. Can you kind of elaborate on that? I think... So people are looking for confidence in that the actions they're taking are right for them. So, so what's the right diet for me? Well, that person says I should be carnivore. This one says I should be vegan. That one says I need to be keto. That one says I need to be paleo. And what? okay, well, I'll try a bit of this. And mm, is that right for me? I don't know. Or maybe I need to do that. Oh, God, I've got that meal coming up now. What am I going to do? Do I have the steak or should I put the vegetable? You know, it, people live like that every day. It's the same as... It, uh, maybe a training program or a stress management or is the is the job I've got the right thing? They're always, always concerned about, are these the best things for me? And the truth of the matter is, generally it's not. If you feel as though you're having to think about it and worry about it and are anxious over it. Once you realise that actually what works for me nutrition-wise is this, that and the other, you can let that go now. You don't have to count your calories. You don't have to worry about the makeup of the, the composition of the meal or any rest of it because you know, for the right reasons, these things work. So I just need to, I don't need to worry about this anymore. I just need to eat like that. Or training, for example, I just need to train like that. That's what gets me what I want. And therefore, I'm fully in control of that. And now I don't have to focus on that so I can get on with enjoying the rest of my life. Because this stuff takes people's attention and anything that takes your attention away stops you enjoying things. So one of the things that I'd speak to um, patients a lot about is getting to the real understanding of what their real goal is. I'll give you an example. I had someone come to me um, not long ago who was 29 years old, generally not the, the age group that I deal with, to be fair, but comes to me 29 years old and he runs several businesses um, and they are fast food businesses and he's got maybe I don't know, a dozen outlets or something. Um, so for all intents and purposes, a, a big business that turns over a lot of, of money um, also owned a health club and came to me saying, well, you know, I want to be, um, I want to have more energy. I feel fatigued all the time. And um, he was doing all sorts of little biohacks and stuff to try and alleviate this kind of problem that he had. But, he still had the issues. So firstly, we have to look at all those biohacks that you're doing in this particular person, right? This is not generalization, this particular person. Clearly they're not working because you're still fatigued. Um, but here's the important thing that I ask everyone. First thing I'll say to them is what's most important to you about your health? And they'll say to me the first answer that they think is correct or that sounds good, which is in his case, oh, I just want to deal with my fatigue. So, okay. Why is that important? Well, you know, I've got all these businesses to run. I need to have the energy to do that. Okay, but why, why is it important to have the energy to run those businesses? Well, because I can run them better. Well, what does that matter? Well, because I want it to be successful. Okay, well, why do you want it to be successful? Well, because I want to make sure that um, it it's, continues to grow and does what it does. Okay, yeah, but why is that important to you? He said, well, 20 years ago, my father started this business and now myself and my sister run it and I want to make sure that we you know, can, can grow it. I said, okay, let's stop there. Would I be right in actually saying that the most important thing to you is not to let your father down 
and ruin the business that he built up for you and be a failure in his eyes. Is that correct? Is that accurate? He said, yeah, absolutely. I said, okay. <clears throat> so the most important thing to you is to not let your father down. It's not fatigue. But you just think fatigue is something I need to address so that I can work harder. Truth of the matter is, we need to find the best way for you to be able to be as successful as possible while being as healthy as you can be. And that's not by having more energy and working harder. That's by getting to bed earlier, because at the moment you get to bed between 12 and 1 a.m., which we know means 2 o'clock in the morning. Just um, dealing with your stress better, knowing how to integrate your nutrition into your life so that you, it doesn't drain energy from you, but it allows you to thrive and get going. And all of those things need to be addressed so that you don't let your father down. Now, when you've got that as the motivator, the actual real reason, and we put things in place that are dedicated to addressing that real reason, all of a sudden, there's no need to stress over anything. Because if he's trying to get his fatigue sorted out, he'll always stress about, is this the right thing for me? Because he's dealing with the symptoms still. He's not dealing with the real cause, the real root cause that he wants to address. And that happens with everybody, by the way, not just him. I ask that of every single person. We drill right the way down to find what the real thing is. Because once you're addressing that real thing and you're putting things in place for that and people are confident that they can do it, which is part of what I have to do is construct it in a way that they are absolutely confident they can carry this out forever in a day. All of that anxiety, all of that problem-seeking or, or the stress and everything else completely disappears. And now all of a sudden... Instead of getting up every day thinking, what am I going to do? How should I do this? Is this right for me? All of that's gone, and now you can focus on being productive. And guess what? He can go to bed at 10 o'clock, half past 10 in the night, get up at 6 o'clock in the morning, have the most productive days ever while keeping his health, rather than what he was doing before, which was complete opposite. Mm. I'm not even sure if I answered the question there. Yeah, no. <laughs> Absolutely. No, that's perfect. And it's a perfect segue to the second question I was going to ask you. As I was listening to our first episode and listening to your life and your story and being, you know, involved in the financial world, which was, you know, successful, yeah. quote unquote, successful because you were making a lot of money, but you decided to leave it because that wasn't your definition of success. This concept just keeps coming into my field of consciousness. I mean, recently I've read Essentialism by Greg McEwen, 4,000 Hours was amazing by Oliver Berkman. And then even like recently, a, a quote by James Clear, which I think all three of those authors are from your side of the pond. <laughs> it must be more yeah. wisdom over there than there is around us over here. There's, there's less junk food over here. That's what it is. <laughs> we'll, we'll get you sooner or later. Um, <laughs> Um, but, but basically it's like, it's a concept of like sitting down, taking a small amount of time and just really thinking about what you truly want and defining success. And it's almost like we would rather, you know, bash our head against the wall and work 60 hour work weeks versus just taking a little bit of time, conscious time with ourselves to actually define success and define what we want with our lives. But also I think the problem is people are mis misinterpreting what success gives them. They haven't thought it through that long. What they've done is gone, okay, success means I need $10 million in the bank. Okay, well, what is that going to give you? Well, it's going to give me freedom of choice. Give me give me time to do what I like. Okay, well, what are you going to do? What, what is it that you like to do? Well, I'm not sure yet, but I'm sure if I had $10 million, I'd work it out. Well, okay. So why don't you just start doing that thing now? You don't need the money. You can be happy right now, today. You can be massively less stressed you can have you can take care of your anxiety you can be healthier you can do all the stuff you want right now because i don't know if you're going to be here tomorrow or next week or next year or next decade you might get run over you might get covid you might have a you know some other terrible disease come up which by the way you've got much more chance of getting things like cancer alzheimer's dementia diabetes all that kind of jazz cardiovascular disease for sure if you're stressed and you're trying to bang your head against the wall for this potential payoff at some fictitious date in the future. So instead of, you know, if success to you means money and possessions, you have the completely wrong end of the stick. Success needs to be, how can I be as happy and fulfilled every day? And generally, that means that you need to contribute to others in some form, because there's no selfless deed, right? So if you go and help somebody else, 
you're going to feel good about yourself. That's going to make you very happy. And it also gives you confirmation of your value. You know, a lot of people have very low self-esteem. They don't believe in themselves. But when you do stuff for other people, it makes you feel better about yourself. You can do all that today. I don't need money for that. And that's the problem, I think, when people look at success, they're not really thinking what that means to them. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. That's so well said and something just like you, like I wish I could go back and tell my 28 year old self that same thing. It, you know, just take a little bit of time and and really think about what you want. And you're right. Like there's no happiness if you're not contributing to the world and contributing to other people. I, I just absolutely love that. That's so wise of you to comment. I, <laughs> we could talk about this forever and ever and ever. You're so great at this kind of content. I do want to talk a little bit about um, your interest in blood work. My opinions about blood work seem to change every like 30 minutes. So I'm really curious, okay. <laughs> really curious, when when did you decide to make that a big focus and what things have you learned along the way with, with blood work and different markers? Wow, okay. So maybe 10 years plus ago, actually probably longer than that, um, it always made sense to me to measure what you were doing, right? Is this right? Is, is what I'm doing right for me? I know. Let's get a blood test and see what the outcome is. Because I might feel a certain way or look a certain way, but what, what's really going on? So bloods became important to me. They are a, a small part of what we do now. There's also a lot of other testing that goes on, but... From a blood's perspective, the initial one is, okay, go to the doctor, you get your bloods done. Now, this is a very common story. Someone walks into their GP, their, their physician, says, oh, I don't feel well, I've got this problem. They say, right, no problem, let's get your bloods done. They get the bloods taken, the patient rings back a week later, and the and the receptionist tells them, uh, yeah, no, no problem with your bloods, everything's fine. And so he says, okay, well, why have I got this problem then? Why do I feel like this? And the doctor says, well, we're not really sure. Here's some Prozac. And the problem with that scenario is there's very rarely things that are wrong on a regular blood test because the ranges are so wide. And the ranges are so wide because that's how they were developed many, many years ago in that they took a cohort of people, which was a massive cross-section, young, old, sick, dying, healthy, pregnant, whatever, and just said, right, 95% of people are going to be in the healthy range, 2.5% would be too high, 2.5% would be too low. There you go, let's stick it out there. Some of it's changed over the last few years. One of them that's changed is testosterone in males. The range has actually dropped because so many males have got less testosterone now. So instead of working out why that was, I will just drop the range so everyone drops into the normal range. Slightly disturbing. But what we do is we go, okay, that wide range, is it doesn't tell us anything. So we look at an optimal range, which is much narrower. And what that allows us to see is when people start drifting outside of that optimal range, um, we can tell if something is either about to happen or has started to happen. And that's way before the doctors. So we, I mean, personally, we diagnose cancer in people way before the doctors. In fact, the doctors have said, there's nothing wrong with you, you're perfectly healthy. And then we've sent them in there and said, look, I want you to get this this check done, this prostate examination. And the doctor has turned around and goes, you don't need it. You're perfectly healthy. Look, I've seen your bloods. And he says, yeah, well, this guy's told me to come and get it. And I'm here now. Can we get it done? Gets the examination. The doctor says, oh, actually, no, that doesn't feel right. Let's get, let's get a scan. And then they find two tumours, and uh, one of them is a stage two um, cancer. And the doctors would have left that. They wouldn't have seen it at all because they, they can't read bloods properly and if anyone if any doctor wants to get online with me and argue the fact i'm happy to do that they are trained within their license okay doctors cannot do things outside of their license or they risk losing their license so what i don't have an issue with that because i can basically do what i like as long as my insurance covers it which it does and that means i can start looking at things from a completely different angle our blood tests aren't a page or two pages long with an H or an L next to the marker, high or low, they're like 100 pages. And they don't look at what does this one marker mean? It looks at, okay, what, what do these 17 markers in combination tell us about your blood glucose management? Not about is your glucose okay on the day or your HbA1c, which is your three-month average. We want to look at fructosamine, 
your EAG, which is your two-month, so two-week average, two-month average, your insulin, your C-peptide, your um, glucose, um, your long-term glucose management, and a load of other markers that are involved with it, which are protein markers, enzymatic function, a whole heap of stuff. So we can turn around and go, well, okay, we can see insulin resistance occurring here, whereas your HbA1c might be perfect. We go, well, okay, that's not the truth. <laughs> that's not what's actually happening to you because that number is one number on its own. It doesn't tell you anything. It's like your cholesterol number. Your total cholesterol doesn't tell you anything. Your TSH, which is a thyroid hormone, well, not. it's not actually, it's a signal from the brain to make a thyroid hormone. Most doctors will look at TSH. If that's in the normal range, your thyroid's fine. It has no relevance to your thyroid health or your thyroid function. It's a signal from the brain to tell your thyroid to make T4, thyroxine. But T4 is a non-active form of thyroid. It has to be converted to T3. And then T3 has to be actually used at the cells. So what's your conversion from T4 to T3? Is it getting used? You know, the whole thing is, it has nothing to do with TSH. So the bloods we do are immensely comprehensive, right the way down to things like apolipoproteins, which shows us the makeup of the cell walls for the cells in the body and the cholesterol and everything else. And um, obviously a massive um, panel of hormones and everything. And we get a very detailed view as to the underlying health that this person is facing. Now, when we get things that say, you know, cardiovascular disease, um, fatty liver or uh, diabetes or whatever it is long term, these things that are coming up, we are then able to treat them way before they get to a point where they can't be reversed. And that is hugely beneficial for a lot of people. So that's the thing about bloods is it allows us to not only know more than pretty much anybody else, but also what to address in what order. And that's, you know, that's more valuable than anybody, than anything. You can do all the stool testing you like. It's not going to tell you what you really need to know. However, we're going to come right there back to where we started here. So someone's say they've got the high cholesterol. High cholesterol can be driven by lots of things. But one of the things is poor glucose management. So poor glucose management will, call, will cause inflammation. Inflammation will cause cholesterol to go up because cholesterol is a protective mechanism against things that are causing inflammation. And so we look at the glucose and we say, okay, well, we need to get control of this. So let's bring your blood glucose down. But that's not the cause. That's not the root cause of the cholesterol again. What we need to look at is why is your glucose high? Well, generally that's because of a dietary and a lifestyle thing. What's your sleep? What's your stress? What's your food like? And then we have to look at, well, what are your beliefs behind the food that you eat and the stress management that you have or don't have and the sleep that you have? So let's deal with those beliefs. Once we deal with the beliefs around your food, and why it's not okay to do this and why we should be doing that, we can get change in behavior, then the behavior changes, and that's what changes the blood glucose, which will have the better effect on the cholesterol. Rather than going, here's some berberine, or here's some alpha-lipoic acid, or here's some cinnamon, that will help bring the blood glucose down, because that doesn't fix anything. Mm. So it's a very complex um, state of affairs, and that's why you know six to 12 months' work is, is needed. And that's before we start talking about things like mold and toxicity and heavy metals and stuff. But anyway, they're bloods for you. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. I want to reiterate two things that you said. Last time you and I talked, we talked a little bit about football, real football, not American football. And Soccer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And when when you mention like testosterone and we just change we just change the values so that more people can, you know, fit in the normal range. It's like it's like if you and I sat around and said, Well, you know, so many games and like one nothing, I would really love if more games had more goals. So let's just make the nets like three times bigger. Like it's absolutely yeah. ridiculous. It doesn't change anything. <laughs> Thing. It just it just yeah. fits more people. And then the second thing that, that you did such a great job talking about is, you know, the markers are are a symphony of different things that you have to look at in the big picture. And one marker on its own doesn't really tell you, it doesn't show you the orchestra of everything that's going on. And so I want to focus, I guess, a little bit, let's, let's just, for one example, let's use cardiovascular health, something that a lot of people are concerned about. They go to their doctor, maybe they're getting a, a basic lipid panel, maybe they're getting something a little bit more complex, like an MNR, um, NMR. <laughs> um, what are the most 
I guess, important markers that you look at as a grouping when you're trying to assess somebody's cardiovascular health? Hmm. Okay. So it all depends on which part of the cardiovascular health you're looking for, right? Because firstly, endothelial dysfunction, endothelial function, that's the endothelial lining of the arteries and the um, cardiovascular system, which allows you to open and close properly, you know, the stiffening and all that kind of stuff allows it to work, you need to look at certain things like fibrinogen, high-sensitivity C-reactive protein, homocysteine, fasted glucose, iron, all sorts of things. Right? All, and a lot of those things you wouldn't even think about relating to cardiovascular health. And they all play their part. And then you have to, like you said, you have to work out how are they affecting that, um, that particular person. Clearly, you want to look at things like um, cholesterol and all the usual uh, suspects that people um, like to look at, but it's the things that people don't normally look at that's important. And when it comes to things like cholesterol, you don't want to look at your total and your HDL and LDL, because actually there's a lot of evidence now, um, and a research published last year, in fact, that high, H, high LDL isn't a problem for cardiovascular disease. Historically, that was the that was the thing, right? High LDL, low HDL. That's it. You're going to get uh, cardiovascular disease, but in actual fact, um, it's not the case. And so, you need to look at things like triglycerides. You need to look at the particle size of your cholesterol. What's your VLDL like? What's your apolipoprotein A1, B, B1? All of those um, ratios, all of that stuff needs to be taken into account. And then you need to start looking at, okay, if the cholesterol is elevated, is that something to do with my liver? So liver has to be taken into account. And then inflammatory markers, like I said, high-sensitivity high C-reactive protein, homocysteine, fibrinogen, ESR, you know, there's a whole heap of them. So again, it's never one thing that's going to be saying, okay, the, the homocysteine is high, therefore that's cardiovascular disease. It's like, okay, well, if that's high and everything else is good, we don't need to worry about that one outlier. But we do need to worry if you've got all these other things going on and potentially there's an immune issue in that you've got a viral infection or there's something low grade that's going on that we haven't got on top of. You know, or is your blood too thick? Why is your hematocrit so high? And that's going to cause us a problem. So you know, cardiovascular disease isn't just a heart attack. There are multiple different reasons why these things happen, which is why you need all the information and then you can start to decipher where the important things are and where the thing, you know, where you want to focus your treatment initially. Um, but it takes a long, long time. You know, you can get people with, I mean, choose anything, but, you know, renal disease, like we said, metabolic syndrome, gout, anemia, hyperchloridia, blood, you know, a ton of stuff. And all of those things need to be addressed, but they have to be addressed individually. You can't do everything at once. And the reason you can't do it all at once is because it's overwhelming to the patient. If you turn, if you try to turn someone's life upside down, inside out and back to front on day one, because that's all the things they need to do, they would not comply and therefore they won't get any result. And the result is give you a healthy, happy, fulfilling life, not overwhelm you with how clever I am. Look at all these things I know. And now you don't actually have the ability to take action and change anything. That's what people do when they try and show off. I'm not interested in that. You know, the first week of working with me might be, depending on who the person is, it might be just, I need you to drink more water every day. I need you to get some sort of traction here. Right? Drink more water, take this multivitamin or something. I don't know. Right? I mean, that's actually not what would happen, but something very simple so you can take those steps. And as they start to feel better, they have much more buy-in to what's going on. Now, a lot of my patients are a lot further down the line in that they've had chronic problems for many years. They've been to all the doctors, been to the specialists, the consultants, never got the results they want. They have a discussion with me for half an hour, 45 minutes, and I talk about maybe half a dozen areas that they never even thought of or was never even mentioned to them, which makes perfect sense as to why they've had headaches for 10 years. And then we address those things, and all of a sudden they feel better after two weeks. Mm. They go, right. So we've dealt with the acute problem, okay? The headaches have subsided somewhat and you can function again. Now we need to get in and do the real work because here's the biggest issue. When people start to feel better, 
initially, they think they're fixed. And that's not ever the case, right? Your body doesn't change that quickly. You need lots of time and you need to consistently be changing things and doing the right stuff. Otherwise, all that will happen is you go, oh, I'm fixed now. I can go back to living that old life I was living. Good. No, no. <laughs> that old life is the one that caused you a problem. So we're never going back there. All we're going to do is start living a life that gives you this fulfillment, this happiness, this disease-free, energized, high libido, creativity, passion, all of that ability. That's what we're going to do. Not the stuff you were doing because that sucked. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's a very long process and it's much more complex than I'm making it out to be. But um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's very, very in-depth. Interesting. Well, yeah, I totally agree with you. I think for the listener, like if you're thinking about a, a major life change and it seems like really overwhelming or that you can't accomplish, you know, your end goal, just start with something very simple, get a little win. And over time you'll accumulate little wins that can pick up and gain a lot of momentum. I, I, that's a great way to approach it. I couldn't agree more. Um, many people will do exercise for example, because they, they feel they have to, um, because, Either they've seen something online or they've seen an image or, you know, they feel as though they're out of shape or the doctor's told them they've got to do something. So they make themselves go to the gym and um, do a class or they, they sit on a machine, you know, a, a weight machine, resistance machine, and just sit there. You see them all the time, right? Miserable, pushing a weight, not really having any intensity and just going through the motion. And... The one thing I'm going to say to everybody listening is don't ever do an exercise because you have to. Mm. You need to do something that you enjoy more than anything else, that you're passionate about, that really gives you this like excitement and like, I can't wait to go. And some people that will be the gym, right? If that's their thing. But the majority of people, it isn't. You know, some people like to surf or they want to play golf or they want to um, do other stuff. Golf's a good example. Now, I'm not saying it's the most cardiovascular testing event in the world, but it's the principle. People who play golf, golf is like a four-hour game, whether it's a quick one or a, a, a long one. It's going to take you four hours. It's going to take you, say, an hour to get there, set up, get ready, tee off, and then maybe half an hour, an hour up the other side when you come off. You're talking six hours out of a day, right? Not half an hour hit training, six hours out of a day. Because everybody's, oh, I haven't got time for exercise. Not only will they play a six-hour you know, game, if you like, they'll do it three or four times a week. They will find the time. If they have to be out there at 5 a.m., or they need to be out there just until it gets dark and they can't see the ball anymore, they'll do it. Yeah, wives are called golf widows for that reason, right? It's like the golf is everything. And there's never a time or an excuse that they find for it. They always find excuses why they can do it. Find something that does that to you. I was speaking to somebody today who's got a patient who does surfing all the time. He loves surfing. It's a great time to get out there and do it because from a cardiovascular, from a health perspective, from a strength perspective, it's amazing. But he wants to do it all the time. Fine. Let him go and do it. But when you're having to do it because you think it's going to give you some benefit, but it's not something you want to do, you'll always find the easiest excuse, the easiest reason you can't go. Everything else, oh, I just got so busy in my day. And there's a massive difference there. Like football, for example, like we were saying earlier, I've got a patient of mine who has, has struggled with his exercise side of things because he's busy and all the rest of it. But every Thursday night, he plays football with his friends. Like they do a seven-a-side football every, without fail. It doesn't matter if he's sick, if he's got a bad back, if he's had a crap day at work, he's there. And so I said to him, look, why don't you just do that three days a week? Because you'll make it, you'll make sure you get there because that's your thing. You went, oh, yeah, I could do that because there's another team I could join. And yeah, mm, okay, interesting. And all of a sudden, it's not a problem anymore. And I think the concept is really important. Find something you love doing. Because what you don't want to do is spend an hour in a gym, which you hate and is just a chore and brings you no happiness. Because mm. that's wasted. Mm. So that, I think, is also quite important. 
Wow. Okay. You are going to love this. <laughs> You're going to oh, love dear. this. Uh, yeah, th- this is great. So recently I was given a gift card for a golf pro shop and I golf a few times a year and I'm not very good and I've done lessons. I practiced. I've done it my whole life because my dad really loves it. I walked into the gift shop with a hundred dollar gift card to spend on anything. Within 30 seconds, I had already walked out of the pro shop and realized I don't like golf. <laughs> I don't enjoy spending six hours exactly. on the golf course. Exactly the way you yeah. explain. I don't like leaving my wife. I don't want her to be a golf widow. I'm not very good. And so I decided that day I'm done with golf. I gave away my, my, all my stuff. I threw away a bunch of things that I used to have. I gave away my, my, you know, clubs to somebody who I thought could like use them and, and benefit from it. And yeah. on the flip side, like you described the guy playing, playing, you know, football, Every Wednesday morning, I have to wake up at like 4.30 in the morning to go play ice hockey. And I would do it the same. I don't care if I'm feeling bad. I don't care if I'm sore or tired. I'm going to be there every single week. And I have a riot with my buddies. And it takes an hour. And it's way fun. And I just quit golf. So that's a really yeah. great example. But can you see the perspective? Can you see that? Because what I'm trying to do is create somebody's life so that it's as happy and fulfilling as possible. And driving them to, you know, making them go to a gym and doing the thing they don't want to do four days a week is not conducive to a happy, fulfilling life. It sucks. So if you want to go and do ice hockey 4am on a Wednesday morning and you're going to get there no matter what, like you just said, that doesn't suck. To anybody else, it'd be like, oh my God, I can't think of anything worse to get up at 4am and go and put on a pair of skates. But for you, it's the thing. And that's what people need to do is find the thing. Right Now, don't get me wrong. If fishing is your thing, you need to find something else that can test you cardiovascular-wise. But you've got to do something that you enjoy. If it's just, you know, basketball, throwing hoops, or just just messing around, kicking a ball against a wall. Have you ever tried kicking a ball against a wall or hitting a tennis ball against a wall? It's the hardest thing in the world because it always comes back. And you've got to be there hitting it back all the time. I used to do it when I lived in Vancouver many years ago. They have this system out there that the, in, in all the parks they have um, tennis courts and they're all free. I don't know if it's the same now. This was like 30 years ago. But um, but it was all free. And if someone wants to play, then they sit on the bench next to the court and then the two people playing have got another half hour and they have to get off. But while you're waiting, you warm up by hitting the ball against the wall. I might try five minutes of that because it's nonstop. And that stuff can be real fun for a lot of people. And it's short, sharp, in, I love it, great, get out, you know, and I don't mind doing it. That's the stuff that needs that people need to do. And you've got to apply that to everything you do. I love that. As long as it's good for you and it's healthy and everything else, that's the stuff that gives you that enjoyment and fulfillment and stops you worrying about, oh, I can't be bothered to go to the gym today. Do you know what? Oh, uh, mm, yeah, no, let me just have another piece of bread. Because that's what most people's lives are about. Yeah. And it's insane. Wow. Stop living that life. Yeah. So wise. I absolutely love that. One thing that you've done a lot over your career is play with different fitness trackers. Um, I, that's something I've done as well. Um, in my, in my career as a trainer, when I was working for a big box gym, we would get different hurry monitors. We would get different step counters. We would get different, all kinds of different metric measuring devices and things like that. I'm curious to know, do you, do you still leverage fitness trackers in your practice? And if so, which ones do you like the most? Okay. Again, not a simple answer. So with the advent of trackers from the very first Fitbit 10 years ago, maybe more now, um, we have seen a a deluge of brand new things, each one being better than the last. We've also seen a massive increase in chronic ill health. Forget COVID, ignore that ever happened. But chronic ill health, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, cancer, um, uh, Alzheimer's, dementia, all that kind of stuff. The advent of trackers has not made people healthier. It's just made them more anxiety-driven around what they're supposed to be doing with their health. So I do use them, and I have done in the past, and I've used all of them. Um, I've got a ton of them in my drawer. I've got a whoop band and a polar watch and an aura ring and all all the whistles and bells. And I stopped using them all. And the minute I stopped using them, I felt so much better because I'd wake up 
And I'd go, what does my aura ring say? Oh, my God, I only got an hour's deep sleep or I only got 18 minutes deep sleep or my REM's really low. Oh, man, what am I going to do? Oh, God. Okay, now it's telling me I've got to take it easy today. But I feel all right. I really want to get, mm, okay, maybe I'll skip the gym. You know, that stuff. That's all they do is tell you what you're lacking and what you're missing and how much more you need to do to complete your ring, you know, complete your circle or to do your your uh, the, the whoop, you know, you've got to get to number 14 today or whatever it is, right? And um, and I found overall that initially it's great because it gives people a visual representation of how things affect them. So, you know, if I, I don't drink, but if someone has alcohol before bed, it affects their sleep or if they stayed up too late, it affects them the next day and all that kind of stuff. But realistically, we kind of knew that anyway. We kind of knew that if I if I get drunk one night, I'm not going to sleep that well and I'm going to feel like crap the next day. We also know that if I'm not doing enough exercise, it's probably not good for me. So all it, in my mind, what it did was highlight things that were a problem and then cause me more anxiety. And so, but you have to go through it, right? You've got to do all of them and try them all and see what it gives you and all that kind of stuff. And then you realise actually. I'm not feeling this. It's, it's, I think I can do better without. We never had them until 10 years ago, right? And, and 50 years ago or 100 years ago, we weren't even bothered about calories. And we lasted and survived pretty well up until then. So this stuff that and now is getting people to focus more on the things that they're lacking, I think is, is potentially the wrong way to go. However, having said that, things like HRV can be very useful especially for predicting sickness coming up. So we can see what HRV does in cancer patients. And we can see how it starts to, to go very, very high and then tank off a cliff when things start getting really bad. And that can be useful in a lot of cases. But for the normal general public, I'm honestly going to say that the majority of things, if I think they're overdone. I don't think you need them as much as people think they are or as much as they would like you to think you do. And I think so long as you live a happy, fulfilling life and your stress is under control and you've got a purpose and a passion, these other things tend to fall into place. Like you tend to sleep really well. You tend to have lots of energy. You tend to not be stressed so much. And you tend to choose good foods because you want to continue to feel good. It kind of takes care of itself. And it always has done for the last you know, 2,000 years odd. It's only recently where we started saying you've got to do these things that people have started to use them. But the outcome hasn't been people are fitter and, and, and lighter and less body fat. The outcome is people are just stressed. Yeah. Yeah, man. I totally agree. I, I, I placed way more value in trackers for a very long time. I think initially they can give you some visibility on, you know, things you need to improve. You mentioned HRV or heart rate variability. I, I had yeah. a block of time that I was doing speed skating, which is extremely difficult. And, yeah. and I, I was doing it for about a six week block, a training block. And I remember using heart rate variability every single day during that training block. And I could see how, how the training was breaking me down day after day after day. And looking at it from a day's view and a week's view and a month's view, it actually was pretty helpful, but only in that context. And now like, I'm not training that way anymore. It wouldn't be helpful for me to know that same with like a heart rate monitor. Like I love using heart rate monitors, but only occasionally just to make sure that I'm, you know, training primarily in my, you know, MAF, Maffetone, Phil Maffetone heart rate zone and make sure that I'm really efficient. But also like, as long as I'm, you know, you know, I feel calm, I'm nose breathing. I, I pretty much can kind of know where my heart rate is and know that I'm training efficiently. And so yeah. it, it becomes a little less important over time. I, I think that's a really thoughtful it, answer. 100%. And, and all it does over time is cause you more anxiety. The thing is, then, do you know what? It's something you said was really interesting. So a six-week block of speed skating, that's not normal, right? That's a that's a extraordinary activity, during a specific time during that HRV can be very useful because if it says, you know, you need to recover longer, don't skate, don't skate today. And you take that day off, you'll be more productive over the six weeks. Then I think that's a very good thing, but it's not normal life. You know, that's a specific thing you were trying to achieve. When people are kind of looking to live a long, healthy, fulfilling, stressless, happy life, they don't necessarily do those sort of extreme activities. And 
where you want to really focus, this is my opinion as I've got older, is you want to focus on the, the minimum effective dose. So what can I do that gives me the strength and the cardiovascular fitness that I need for everyday living, not to run a marathon or to climb Kilimanjaro or do something extreme? What can, you know, for me, what's my goal for longevity and health and what do I need to do to sustain that? And so long as you get a bit of a sweat on, you've done enough. And I don't need to look at Phil Maffetone's numbers. I don't need to look at my heart rate variability. I don't need to look at my heart rate as per se. I just need to come out there knowing I'm sweating. I've got my heart rate up. I've felt the contraction in the muscle. I'm good. I don't need any more than that. And so this is my current and this is open to change, right? Because my life is always very fluid and it changes as when I would like to change it. But this is my current training. Push-pull legs, right? which people don't know is pushing movements this is resistance work on, on a Monday, pulling on a uh, Wednesday and legs on a Friday. And it consists of pushing chest, okay, chest press, 15 reps, 12 reps, 10 reps. So a triple drop set, okay? So you do 15, drop the weight a bit, 12, drop the weight, 10. Two sets, that is it. All right, so two triple drop sets for chest, one movement, overhead press, the same, and then triceps, the same. Out, leave the gym. Thank you very much. I'm done. Takes me 20 minutes. I warm up beforehand. I do five minutes on the bike, five minutes on the rower. That gets my heart rate up. And then that training keeps my heart rate elevated enough so that I get a good volume of blood into the muscles. I'm not there all day long and I'm sweating through the whole thing. Same on the uh, you know back day and same on legs. And then in between, I will do a little bit of hit cardio, but stuff that I enjoy doing. So hitting a heavy bag, you know, that to me is quite fun. I can get out some aggression and I'll do that for, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever. I'll do a bit of rowing, a bit of ski erg, just in small two or five minute kind of bursts. But things that I enjoy and I don't mind doing. And that's me done. None of those sessions take more than 30 minutes. I've spent hours in the gym before in my life and I've been doing it since I was 15 and so in 40 years I've done all sorts of stuff but I honestly think minimum effective dose right just do the thing you need to do that gives you the ability to do everything else you want in a happy and powerful way in you know and keeps you long longevity wise I think that's all you need I think the trouble is people are trying to train like they're going for a Olympic gold and, and they're paying the price for it in all of the stress and the problems it causes to them. There's no Olympic athletes that are in the best of health. You can't push your body to that level and be healthy. There's a big, you know, there's a big tax to pay on that. So the trouble with things like social media is it promotes these high performing, you know, I can look at all these muscle ups I can do and look at this and look at the shape I'm in and everything else. And that's great for the very, very, very small percentage of people that can sustain that. But for the majority of people, especially as we get older, minimum effective dose, get in, get out, done, and then get on with your life. Mm. That's my that's my view on it. Yeah, I love that. When I learned that lesson, it was like a great secret that nobody had told me that I don't need to work yeah. out six days a week for an hour and a half in the gym. You can get it done with so much less time. And it's funny, I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned the Olympic athlete thing. It's, it's like you, you see the Gatorade commercial of the athlete just training and training and training, and it's, it's amazing and inspiring, and they're doing all this work, but you don't know what that person's life is like. A professional athlete is either training hard or they are completely resting. Like as a cyclist is either riding, you know, a, a big race like the tour or they're like horizontal. They're, they're trying to waste no energy. They're getting massages. They're eating thousands and thousands of calories. They're trying to recover all the time. Like their life is suited to that in a way that most people think they can just train like that and then go work 40 or 50 hours a week and eat crappy food. It doesn't work. And, and that's why in their mid forties, the CEO who thinks training harder is the is the answer finds that things aren't working very well anymore and their hair's falling out and they've got no sex drive and they can't recover and they can't lose the weight but 
they do a long haul flight from London to LA and then they get off the plane and go straight to the hotel gym at 4am because they think I've got to get my workout in because I've got a meeting at night. Mm. You know, what are you doing? Who told you that's going to work? Yeah. Because right? all you're doing is creating more and more and more problems. And also don't forget the Olympic athlete um, is training for a specific event, but the reason they've got that big support team around them, the reason they're having to have people massage them, do the recovery, do the calories, everything else is because their body can't handle it. And they're having to try and find a way in which they can get themselves across the line before it completely breaks down. Yeah, that's a great point. <laughs> that's a really great point. Well, we can't let you go without talking a little bit about mold toxicity. This is, this is to me, it almost feels like talking about like EMF, you know, the, like getting yeah. radiated by all our electric devices. It's almost like I, I almost don't want to know about it because it's so inconvenient, but <laughs> okay, so it's you, still there. You definitely, you definitely want to know about it, mate. I promise you. Teach me. Yeah, you need to know about it. So let's say somebody's trying to improve their health. And I and I, I kind of laugh, and I shouldn't do, because it was such a revelation to me when, when I started doing this stuff um, so long ago. Our goal, and I'm going to repeat myself, happy, healthy, fulfilling life, right? And a lot of that depends on your health. And a lot of people's health deteriorates as they get older. And one of the reasons is they accumulate all sorts of things, right? They accumulate wear and tear in their body. They accumulate toxicity. They accumulate all sorts of problems. Anyway, when you're trying to fix someone and someone says goes to a doctor or goes to a nutritionist or whatever it is, and they say, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, this is the diet for you and take these supplements, they are treating the symptom, right? You're tired all the time. You've got no sex drive. Okay, here's some, I don't know, maca or... Here's some, um, it is a diet to follow and, and that will help. And they're treating the symptoms. Do that all you like, right? Eat the best diet in the world. Take all the most expensive supplements. Get your sleep, get your sunlight, get your um, cold showers. Do what the hell you like. None of it is going to work long-term if you're not dealing with toxicity and mold that is sitting in your tissue. Because that stuff is giving off toxins and pathogens and causing problems 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Now, if you've ever seen, and I reckon you'd have come across people like this in your own, in your own uh, practice, people are doing all the stuff they should do, but they still can't get the results they want, or they're still not getting a shift in their blood work, or they're still not quite getting to feel as though, oh, I'm doing all this stuff, why am I so tired? Why, why is my brain fog still here? And so, oh, no, we don't really know. You, you must be eating something you're not telling us or you know, are you really doing that exercise or, you know, whatever it is. Those people, as well as everyone else, I promise you will test positive for some kind of toxicity or mold or likely both. Mm. Now, depending on what toxicity it is, and generally it's some sort of environmental toxin, but there's thousands of them, they will have huge effects on your health chronic-wise. So they cause cancer. They cause dementia, they cause central nervous system problems, they cause heart disease. And I've not tested one person ever that has not had either toxicity problem or a mold problem or both. Wow. Okay, so everyone's got it to a different degree, but everyone's got something. And one in two people get cancer in this world. So you cannot tell me there's no correlation there. And when I've done, when I've treated cancer or tested sorry cancer patients there's a cancer patient i can think of who had um breast cancer and um i can't remember if i told you the story last time but basically she had breast cancer um had had all the treatment done had the mastectomies beat it was clear for 12 years um was on a particular um hormone drug to keep the estrogen down because breast cancer is an estrogenic hormone uh, estrogenic cancer and um came off the uh, the, the hormone because of her age and within a year, got a very aggressive ovarian cancer, another issue of cancer. And the uh, the oncologist was like, oh, okay, well, this is really bad. And um, we, we, we're going to do these four months of treatment for you. Um, but once that's done, I'm not sure what we can do after this. And, she's, and she spoke to me one month into her chemo. And she said, look, I don't, I don't know if you can even help me, but this is my story. And I said, okay, this is how I look at it. Why did you get it back? 
what is it that's causing this to happen in you time and time again? That's the key. Not you had it one time and you got rid of it and you were unlucky to get it back. Something is causing it. And, and for all intents and purposes, she was a very healthy, fit woman. She was very active. She didn't drink or smoke or eat crap. She was, you know, everything she was doing, everything right. So we did her tests, four types of mold and at least six types of toxicity. Wow. And, and if I remember rightly, and I, I might not be accurate, but there was, there was at least three or four of them that were known human carcinogens. So that oncologist can do all the chemo he wants. Until he deals with what's going on underneath, that will come back again and again and again. Or it might not even get rid of it now because the, the toxicity in the mold is so prevalent. So when you've got one in two people in the world with cancer, come on, get tested, almost all of them, right? get tested, and let's see where you're at. Because if we do your bloods, do your toxicity, your mold, your heavy metals, and we get all that data together, we know we can make such a significant difference to your health long term and avoid some of these chronic problems. It's insane that no one's doing it. Honestly, wow. mate, it's it's madness. Wow. No, that's crazy. So what can be done? Like what if what if, you know, I'm living in a home that has mold in it? Can it is it generally something that can be repaired or is it something that pretty much you have to move? So I'll, I'll give you another quick story. A patient of mine in um Ireland, um living in a house, had has had chronic issues for 10 years. She's only 30, and um 10 years she's been almost housebound, no energy, real problems. And and she has been everywhere, done everything, can't can't figure it out. And and the bottom line is she has um I think she's got some lime stuff going on, she's got some mold, some toxicity, she's got some heavy metal, she's got a whole heap of stuff. And she did a, her own mold test on the house, and it basically came back and said it was so bad that it was not fit for human habitation. Whoa. You need to move out. And she moved out into another house nearby, which was just as bad because they were the similar type of house. You know, they're, they're near the coast. They're, they're old stone buildings. They're two, 300 years old. And eventually she had to move 45 minutes away from her family home to go and find somewhere dry and clean and stuff so we can, we can treat her. Because whilst you're in the property, if it's that bad, whilst you're in that property, it's like her being in a swimming pool and me giving her a towel and saying, dry yourself off. You can't, you can't do it, right? It's like, it's just coming back over time and time again. So if you're living in a house with mold, you need to get it tested. Find out what mold it is and then find out how it can be um, fixed and get it fixed. No ifs, no buts, no, oh, it'll be all right. No, forget that. Get it done because you will be breathing it in 1 million percent. Get yourself tested. And I'll tell you what we'll do. Let's do your bloods and let's do your mold and your toxicity. And then let's do another series, an, a, a, another episode going through them. If you're up for that and, you, yeah. and you're happy for other people to know how you, how you are, right? Because that will give you such an insight into your health because you do all the right stuff, right? You, you are very conscious about what to do, how to think, how to behave, everything else. But this thing, this is not something you're aware of. You know, it's very insidious. It gets in there and it sits and, and it does all the damage. So you can have the wonderful life and, and do the great stuff, but this stuff will still kill you. And people don't get it. Wow. They really don't. And and why do physicians not, not cover it? Because it's not on their license. Mm. They don't recognize it as a problem. It's just like, yeah, well, it's not, it's not something we would do. It's all nonsense. It's all, it's all um, I don't know what you call it, snake oil salesman or, or some nonsense like that. It's real oil. And this stuff kills you. Mold, fungus, that kind of stuff. Uh, it's been around since way before we were around. And, and it will be around way after we've gone. It's, it's hugely adaptive. And it will live anywhere. And once it finds a host, which is wet and warm and has got, you know, plumbed in nutrients all day, every day, it's going to thrive. And what it does is waste products are very, very destructive. Because what it does is it it pushes out a poison, a, a biotoxin, that stops other molds attacking its space, and it leaves it to itself to be able to thrive. And that stuff actually is not very good for us. Wow. 
Wow. So oh, can I, oh, I I know we're coming up to an hour, right? And I'm, I'm <laughs> conscious of your time. I've got to tell you this. I've got to tell you, you're the first person I've told really in in uh, in a big way. Some people I've chatted to about it, but the first person that has got an audience. Um, really important. This year, um, around February time, I was working, I was looking at my computer and I looked up on my screen and, and just out of the blue, it became blurry, really peculiar. And um, and I wear reading glasses occasionally, but not all the time. And it was, and I didn't have my glasses on. I thought, well, that's strange. You know, it was fine two seconds ago, and now it's gone really blurry. And so, like any man, you ignore it and push on, right? Because obviously, <laughs> it will just get better on its own. Yeah. And um, and then that evening, I was sat uh, watching television, and it was blurry then, and that was a longer distance. And I've always had some issues, not always, but since I've got older, I've. The, the, the regular kind of issues with closer um, uh, items to what to look at. So if it's close, I need to put my hand a bit further away so I can see. But the distance stuff I've been 2020 on for years, you know, no one will beat me seeing things at a distance. And that was getting distorted. And I was like, okay, this is not right. So I go to my local optician and they look at it and they say, oh, this is strange. You have an astigmatism in your left eye. And you haven't had it before. This is really weird. So said, but it's definitely there. And there's a friend of mine that lives about two hours drive away who's got like the top, top kind of optician's practice. So I drive down there, see him. He goes, yep, that's it. That's what it is. That's what's causing it. Yeah. Hmm, okay. So if you know what an astigmatism is, it's basically the, the change, the permanent change of the shape of a lens. And, um, and it bows a bit more than it should or whatever it is, and that causes distortion, and then you get your glasses to rectify that um, and, and let you see straight again. So I was like, oh, mate, really? Why has this happened all of a sudden? And I asked the optician, and they said, well, normally we, we don't see it at people your age. I said, oh, okay, what age do, do you normally see it? You know, how much older would they normally be? And he went, no, 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 we normally see it in young people. You get it from young, and, you, and, you, and it sticks with you. I said, oh, well, clearly my anti-aging strategy is working then, right? Like I'm doing a Benjamin Button and getting <laughs> getting younger and I'm getting all the disease of the young people. And um, anyway, long story short, I uh, my initial optician, because it came on so quickly, wasn't happy about it and sent me for a referral to a specialist at the hospital. And then because of COVID and delays and everything else, that wasn't, so this was February and I didn't get the hospital appointment until end of July. So. I went into the hospital appointment, and by then, actually, it had gone away. It stopped being so blurry. And I thought, well, either it's not blurry anymore or I've just become accustomed to it. I've gone in there, done the eye test, and they've said, uh, you're, you're, you're 2020, your vision. There's nothing wrong. And they looked, and they said, there's no astigmatism there. Now, I've got pictures of the astigmatism when it was there. It don't, you don't get that and go away, right? Mm. So. Here's the interest. There is a test you can do online called the VCS test, right? Visual um, contrast something test, VCS, can't remember what it is. And um, there is definite um, effect on your eyesight from biotoxins, mold, yeah, that kind of stuff. At the time of my initial visit to the optician, I was treating myself for mold. And that it looks like to me has created this uh, astigmatism temporarily or this change temporarily. And as I dealt with it over time and it got, got rid of it, it then went back to being normal again. And you could never, you could never tell someone that if you told an optician that that says an absolute load of nonsense, it doesn't happen. You can't do it. It's not, there's no book that tells you that can ever happen, but I experienced that. There was a definite astigmatism there. And then when I went back six months later to a very high-end hospital that's got all of the testing procedures, they turned around and said, there is no astigmatism there. Wow. And the only thing that changed was that I dealt with the mold that was in me. <laughs> that's how destructive it can be and how you can change things. Insane. That's bananas. That is absolutely crazy. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So this is now the second hour that I've got to spend with you where the time has absolutely flown by. I've enjoyed myself so much. And if we can do, like you said, another episode where we can deep dive into this stuff, I would absolutely be thrilled with that. That would be amazing. Um, it sounds well, like, just, okay. 
again, let's, let's do it. Let's do it. I, it just seems like one of those things. It's yeah, it's really inconvenient and we don't want to talk about it and ignore it because it's going to be problematic. if We have to move or deal with, you know, mold, whatever, but it's, it seems like something that's way too important to just ignore. Moving, pass up. Okay. So moving and dealing with your mold is far less inconvenient than cancer. Yeah, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a great point. I love that. Absolutely. Man, Paul, this has been a fantastic interview. Where can people go to find you and find your work? Uh, best place is website, which is paulburgess.uk. And if you can put a link to that in the show notes, I'd be grateful. Because if you go there, there's a button in the top left-hand corner that you can click, and it lets you make a 30-minute call with me to discuss anything you want to talk about when it comes to your health. I'm not biased. I don't care. Right? If you want to talk about anything, I'm very happy to discuss it with people because as you can tell, I quite like the sound of my own voice. And I think I've got actually got some good stuff to talk about. Right? I think um, um, I see things from a different perspective than most, and I think it's a very useful perspective. And so you can book a 30-minute call with me. And one thing I need you to understand, most people, is that you speak to me. Right? You don't speak to my secretary. You don't speak to a student or someone I'm training. You only ever speak to me. And if I do work with people, it's only me they work with. I don't give them to somebody else to do. Because a lot of times people go in via one person and then they go, oh yeah, well, this guy would look after you now. Now we've dealt with the, the main stuff. No, that doesn't happen. You get to speak to me and I'm the only person that treats you if we do ever do any work. So book a call. It says 30 minutes. You can appreciate that normally it takes about an hour. I think I did one the other day for an hour and a half. Wow. Um, so, so it's not, you know, it's all free. Have a chat, see what you can do. Um, if you want to find me on Instagram, you can. Um, functional, functional Nutrition One, I think it's under. But again, you'll get that from the front page of the website. That's where I kind of hang out most is on Instagram. Um, like you said, that post today was one of them. Um, I've, got a, I've got a podcast that has been running, like you said, since 2014. And we've got, I mean, you've been running this, I don't know how long, but you've got, I think you've got as many episodes as I have. So it shows I haven't been doing it as regularly as you. But... Um, I think the stuff on there is quite good. You hear me talking a lot and you hear the guests talking a lot of good stuff. Um, so yeah, reach out and let's talk and let's try and see if we can find a way and getting you a, getting you back control so that you can have this happy and fulfilling life today because that's the thing that matters. I love that. That's so generous of you to offer that 30 minute call. I know you told us last time that generally it goes longer than 30 minutes because you get so excited and you're helping people in the call that you said you just did an hour and a half is absolutely amazing. I followed your podcast for a very long time. The content's amazing. Paul Burgess, founder of Paul Burgess Functional Medicine. Thank you again so much for reappearing on the show. We look forward to doing this again soon. Your information is incredible. Your message is very simple and very uplifting and causes a lot of optimism in a world that, um, you know, you and I have talked before, might may not be too optimistic that it's going in the right direction, but you are a beacon of light and a great source of information. And we can't thank you enough for all of your work and for coming onto our show today. We really appreciate it. My, my pleasure, Casey. And I appreciate the the sentiment and, and the that you that you get what we're, we're, we're talking about and how it's slightly different. I, I appreciate that because it is my life work. And obviously I want it to help as many people as possible. So thank you for spreading the word. Absolutely. It's our honor. We know you're super passionate about it. and We really appreciate that. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio. 